This is an MVP podcast, My Village Productions. Welcome to Unsolved America, a show where we explore unsolved mysteries throughout the United States. I'm your host, Tiffany. And I'm your host, Andy, and each week we will throw a dart at the map and wherever it lands is the location of our mystery. This week, I landed on Rhode Island. Island of Rhodes. I think you said that last season, too. I probably did. That's like <laughs> the only joke I have about Rhode Island. Because <laughs> it's so small. Yeah, pretty much. I've never been to Rhode Island. I haven't either. Do we want to? I hear it's beautiful. Okay, let's go. Okay. <laughs> Booking tickets. Right now. I am a travel agent now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On February 1st, so this is a little bit of an old, well, not a little bit. It's an older one um, from the 40s, and I wanted to talk about it because it was just so weird, but... On February 1st in 1971, it was four days before the full moon, (laughs) and (laughs) there was a man named Joseph Curry. He was out for a walk on Saturday afternoon by the 10-mile river near his home in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, when he started walking down a path called Lover's Lane, and he saw something, and it looked like a strange, like... I don't know. It, he said boulder, but it it was just like a mass in the bushes. And when he walked over there, of course, he didn't find out that it was some sort of boulder or rock. Okay. He found a blood-soaked body of Rita Bouchard, a 17-year-old mill, work, mill worker from North Providence. Okay. He found that her throat was actually slashed from ear to ear, and she'd been stabbed 30 times in the back and neck and body. Wow. Aggressive, right? It doesn't look like there was any sort of struggle, and her clothes, uh, she was wearing a blueprint dress, brown and white sandal, or sandal shoes, and a yellow bobby socks. And I think those are the ones with the little frills on them. The bottom socks, yeah. They were all intact. So it was just, she just was there dead. And then didn't, there was no sign of a struggle. There was nothing like missing. Okay. Her glasses and her handbag with $40 in it were actually missing. So that was the only thing that they said. Um, She was still wearing her gold wristwatch, which was still working. And so I don't know really what why somebody would take her hand like her purse. Mm-hmm. About a hundred yards from the riverbank where she was found was a light gray coat, and there were thirteen wounds counted on her back. Okay, but of course the coat didn't have those wounds, and I don't know why it was thrown so far away from her. Interesting. Yeah, but it did belong to her. Were they able to mm-hmm. find that? Okay. They were able to confirm that. Yeah, actually, I'm sorry. I there were three holes in the back of her coat. And so okay. some, someone stabbed her and then some took off her coat and then continued to stab her. They could have grabbed her coat and, and she then probably she, slipped out, right? Yeah. Weird. This is definitely somebody she knows. Right. There was a tree tree also nearby the body, which had like hatchet marks in it. And it so it looked like huh. Someone was stabbing the 
tree as well or like missing her or had her against it and she was moving around and they kept hitting the tree too. They also said that it could have been like a locator for the killer to know where they placed the body as well. So it was just, Uh. yeah, it it was a weird location and there was just a lot of things going on there. Interesting. They had no clues. They had nothing to go off of and they didn't even know where the girl's body had been carried from or like what happened if that was the murder scene like Mm -hmm. whatever it may be so they didn't know anything they were forced to start doing an investigation of course and the police chief was actually vacationing in florida at the time okay so the inspector who was in charge tasked like the whole force Oh, wow. To start looking into this murder. They started looking into the murder and they found out that she worked at a place called Rhode Island Fabrics Company. Okay. And the day before they found her on July 31st, she actually left work. She usually worked 3 to 11. Okay. And that afternoon, she complained of feeling ill and left the plant at like five o'clock saying she was going to go see a doctor and then visit her mom. And they found out that Rita didn't actually go to the doctor and she didn't go see her mom at all. She also didn't go back and see or back to her room. Okay. She was living with her aunt at Mineral Spring Avenue and her and her brothers and sisters were living with their aunt and uncle. Um, because they were wards of the state. I really don't know why that happened or why they weren't living with their parents. Okay. Her family assumed that she went to go stay the night with a friend that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they didn't think anything of it. She was 17 years old. I mean, you know. Yeah. And in the 40s, there wasn't cell phones. There wasn't? Wasn't that when the Nokia was invented? Oh, okay. (laughs) They didn't think anything of her being gone until something came over the radio or the news describing what they found in the woods and the description of the body. And that's when they started to get worried. They called the police department and told them, you know, I my niece is that's what they look like. Like, I haven't heard from them. Yeah. And they found out it was her. Okay. So between Friday evening and Saturday morning, there was about 17 hours missing from what her life. Like, no one knew what Where she was, what she was doing. We know what she told people she was doing. Yeah. Which was a lie. It was a lie. They started putting out questions to the community. There was a bus driver that said that he drove a girl resembling Rita to a cafeteria near the Main Street Bridge at 5.40 on Friday. But then another bus driver who knew the girl said he saw her get into her car down in downtown Pawtucket around 6 p.m. Okay. So there was very little information to go on off of, and the police were trying to fill, like, what happened in that timeline. Yeah. They questioned the friends, men who had dated Rita, and residents near the factory in the crime scene to see if they had seen anything. They even questioned her family, of course, her uncle, her sister, and her closest friends in the neighborhood. And they came up with nothing. So the trail went cold. At the time 
of Saturday or Sunday or whenever after they started interviewing everybody, they were trying to fall back on the fact that their the girl's purse was missing. Rita's purse was missing and the $40 and all of that in there. They were also looking for the murder weapon, which they couldn't recover. They never found that um, at the time. Okay. But they believed it looked like a stiletto kind of shape of a knife. So it was like very sharp and very thin. Okay. And they also followed up on a tip from Rita's aunt that the girl had, that Rita had confided in her that she was starting to date a man. And she expressed like concern about this because she said that don't be alarmed if I like turn up dead or have a violent death or something like that and it it just was really weird comments from her yeah why are you with this person right but they couldn't find any link to her known boyfriends or exes between okay. for that time frame okay but they still think it was somebody that she was dating and she hadn't told anybody about him or who he was interesting because she knew he was a criminal Right. Or some, I mean, we don't know that, but. I mean, if you're telling people, like, I'm probably going to die a violent death, I feel like you're dating a criminal. <laughs> or somebody that's just. So don't know what. Don't know why you're dating somebody like that. Well, or somebody that's, like, angry or, you know, there's a lot of. Oh, well, people... they, like, lose their temper yeah. really easily. Right. Weird. After 18 days from the murder, okay. they kind of got a little bit of a break. Oh. While walking with friends by a park near an entrance by Ten Mile River, an eight-year-old boy was kicking the grass by the sidewalk, and he accidentally kicked over an object, and it was the knife. Its blade was like eight and a quarter inches long, and it was stained both, or stained red on both sides, presumably blood. They provided the knife to the authorities and they they did testing and they decided that it actually fitted the the holes in Rita's coat. Oh. So they thought it was the murder weapon. Anyway, by a twist of fate, two months later. Okay. Two months later, after a murder. So that knife that they found nothing came of it they just found the knife they knew it was the murder weapon it was the 40s they couldn't do you know they fingerprinting and yeah. all of that they weren't horatio caning the situation <laughs> creating like a 3d replica of the right. crime scene right yeah then about two months after they had found that yeah knife there was a kid that was arrested on an unrelated charge okay and he spun this, like, story for them. Okay. So his name was Eugene Raymond Patnude. He was born in 1929, and his parents were um, living in Pawtucket. He was described as, like, a reserved person, a teenager. He was rather nervous, impulsive, restless, and all of that stuff. When he was with the police he just sat there and he said all right i'll tell you the story and then started to confess to murdering rita now i know we're on unsolved america and Mm -hmm. we talk about unsolved mysteries so wait up but i want to go into a little bit of this because 
he, I don't know why he confessed, first of all. Okay. I'm assuming that they were able to poke holes in a lot of his story. Yeah, there were a lot of things that were happening. And he was saying a lot of things that I think were pretty well known in the news and the media about the location and, you know, that it was a knife, that kind of thing. Yeah. But it was their first break after, you know, three months of not knowing. and Silence. Yeah, not knowing what happened or anything. On the Friday afternoon before Rita's body was found, Raymond went to Rhode Island Fabrics Company on School Street to ask the foreman if he would be he could come back to work on Monday after being out from a leave of absence. He left there about 3.15. Okay. He said then he went downtown to Pawtucket where he entered the Capitol Theater about 4 p.m. And at 7 p.m., by coincidence, Rita came into the theater, sat down next to them. They talked for about five minutes and then left the theater and walked to Main Street where they sat on a bench and kept talking. Okay. They had... He states that they had only been there for a few minutes when a car with yellow registration plates drove up and the driver addressed Rita by name. She went over to him, spoke to the man, then called to Raymond to come over to the car and persuaded him to get in. Raymond sat in the back seat. Rita sat in the front seat and they drove to the entrance of Slater Park. Raymond then said he wanted to go back downtown. So they drove him back and dropped him off at Capitol Theater. As he got out, the driver asked Rita, do you want to go home or do you want to go back to the park? Raymond told police that he thought Rita replied that she wanted to go back to the park. And when they drove away, he got a cup of coffee and then started to worry about Rita because he didn't know that if he knew her, if he knew the driver or she knew the driver, which kind of baffles me because also didn't you just say that you met her a little bit ago too? Right. So why are you worried about this girl? Yeah. At about 8 p.m., he hopped on a trolley and went back to the park entrance where he found Rita alone, sitting on a bench and crying. He asked her what was wrong. And according to Raymond, she slapped his face and got up to walk away. Raymond started to follow her to a nearby bus stop and then asked her again, what's the matter? And then this time... She slapped him in the face and kicked him twice. Okay. And then he said his mind went blank. Oh. And then he says when he came to, he was laying on the ground in the woods with a girl's body beside him, asking twice, is that you, Rita? He saw a knife on the ground, got up, followed a path into the woods, took the trolley, and got back to his home, arriving there around 10 p.m. Okay. When the police asked him why he didn't reveal this story before or like when the news came out about her and Raymond insisted that he didn't lie. He just said, I'm not lying. It was it wasn't until a week later that he had a dream in which he now described to the police back to him. So he had this dream of what happened that night. And that's what he's telling the police at this point. But he insisted that it was real. Huh. That's so bizarre. Right. So the police were just listening to his story. And then they took him in a police car to the park and asked him to point out which bench and where he was and where Rita and him were talking. He then asked, now, where did the car come from? And Raymond told him. He also asked, 
or said, now lead the way and tell us where you went after that. And so he started walking to the entrance of the park and he pointed to the bench. He he showed him where the car came from. Okay. And then the police officer asked, now you got kicked by Rita. How did you enter the woods? And he replied with, I don't know. I only remember walking up beside Rita and I can't stand dead bodies. So I walked away. I can't stand <clears throat> dead bodies. I mean, how many bodies have you seen where you can't stand? Literally, my first thought, I was like, but how many bodies have you witnessed, sir? <laughs> it's so weird. I hate dead bodies. And so then they put him, they took him farther into the park and they asked, okay, now where was the body? Okay. And he, he said, I don't remember. There was a lot of trees around. Okay. This almost seems like a dream that he had because he heard the story and it was just kind of like a nightmare that he right. had because it's scary, right? Right. Like, yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's normal for that to happen where you hear about something and then you dream about it. Mm -hmm. The police asked him point blank, did you do this? Did you murder Rita? And he replied, I don't re I don't remember. Maybe I did it. So as you can Sir. tell, <laughs> this is packed with a lot of inconsistencies. Yeah. His description of the knife, for instance, didn't follow what the actual description of the knife was. And he couldn't really account for the purse that was missing as well. So he had no, no idea what it was, where it was, or anything like that. Okay. And then obviously his memory of the crime scene, not knowing where it was and which clearing and where in the woods it was. Um, and so it was just all suspect, right? Yeah. It was, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's all odd, sir. Right. Another thing that was really weird also is that Rita had no mud on her shoes and there was mud surrounding the entire area that she was in that her body oh. was found. So that they kind of ruled out that she didn't even walk to the place that she was found at because there was no way that there wouldn't be mud on her shoes if she had walked yeah. there. So they're thinking that wasn't the crime scene area. Yeah, it sounds like that's just where they left the body. Yeah. And with that, Raymond was apparently like underdeveloped for his age. So he only weighed like 90 pounds. There was no way that he was going to lift this girl and take her hundreds of yards from like the clearing area through the muddy area and put her in this exact spot. Yeah. So lots of weird things. We don't know why he confessed. And, you know, I think people want their 15 minutes of fame yeah. sometimes. Yeah. When they do confess to that kind of thing. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's just so weird. Now, I wonder if now I could see if he if half of his story was true. Yeah, I don't know. Like him meeting up with Rita, getting in the car with that random person and then he him leaving her. Yeah. Which also might have triggered why he had like such a weird like nightmare and why he might be feeling guilt over her death because if he was one of like the last people to see her alive and then all of a sudden she shows up dead and you just sent her off into the night with like some rando in a car mm -hmm. i mean you you would feel guilty and i guess you would feel like you were the person to blame for this right you know what i mean yeah i i totally get it because that night so the day that he confessed that night he was actually committed into a psychiatric hospital for observation. Okay. 
Because his behavior was just so... It was weird. Mm -hmm. And they were wondering why he would confess to this sort of crime. Without. Without any evidence, without knowing everything, right? Right. And so when he got committed, the doctors accounted that and wrote notes that he was neat. He was being super compliant, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, so he was committed for, I think, like a month or two. And they said that towards the end of his term there, the last two weeks, he became like really erratic and was just acting really weird. Interesting. I don't know. I mean, maybe something that was wrong. So he was just a weird oddball. And obviously there was just so many inconsistencies that it was just they finally, you know, said he probably had nothing to do with it Mm -hmm. and he has no information. And so that's why I said, you know. They they pointed the finger at somebody, but then once they dove a little deeper. Yeah. And kind of like rightfully so, right? Because he confessed. But then right. once they kind of got the full picture, it was kind of obvious that he was not the person that did it. Yeah. So weird. Now to go back to Rita and the case. Mm-hmm. They never found any leads after that. Okay. They only had him coming forward and, of course, it not being true. So there were never any leads given to the police. No more clues were found. And no ever, no other suspects were ever brought forward. Shortly after Rita's death, her aunt and uncle were evicted from their home. And Rita's brothers and sister were placed into a foster home. In 1959, nine years after the murder, the Providence Journal published a follow-up story on the unsolved crime, which would prove to be the final word in the case, concluding that the murderer of Rita Burchard, if he lives, is still a free man. And to this day, you know, 75 years later, there's little left to remind us of Rita's short life. They, like, converted that whole area into a neighborhood. I think there's, like, one memorial thing there, um, like, a tree dedicated to her. But obviously this was done in 19 in the 1940s. And so most likely most of those people are not alive anymore. Did they ever find like, did they ever say if there was like tire tracks in the mud or anything? Mm -mm. They didn't say. Yeah. Which it would have been if, I mean, obviously there was mud around Mm -hmm. and if a tire had, or a car had gone up to there, they it definitely would have left some sort of remnants. Track, yeah. Yeah. So that's all there is to this story. Super weird. Right. It's just there was no evidence. There was nothing. Yeah. They found the murder weapon. They found the murder weapon, but obviously, like I said, they they couldn't do any fingerprinting. Uh-huh. Oh, they couldn't have even tested, like, the blood that was on the knife to, right. like, verify that... This was, you know, the like the actual murder weapon. They yeah. could only say that it fit the the stab pattern or in the, the coat. Yeah. In the coat, not even on her body, though. Yeah. In the coat. That's weird, too. I know. When it was 30 stab wounds, mm-hmm. like you should be able to verify that. But I right. don't know why they just called out the coat. Interesting. So bizarre. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unsolved America. Head on over to Facebook and Instagram and follow us at Unsolved America MVP. And be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform. If you need to contact us, please email unsolvedamericamvp at gmail.com and we'll talk to you next week. 
This has been an MVP podcast, My Village Productions.